Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Can we give it up for our team putting that video together? What a fun, what a fun opener. I've really enjoyed that. I want to join in also in saying happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Grateful for you. Yes, another round of applause for the moms. Come on, we can't do it enough. I've got a picture here to show you of me and my mom, my mom and me, I should say. Here it is. Check it out. There we are together. Look at that. Beardless. Talking about me, not my mom. She hasn't had a beard for years. Yeah, there we are. (laughs) Love my mom and I'm grateful for her. I'll probably talk about her a little more as we go on. As Malachi read for us this morning, we're in the book of Titus this morning. Titus chapter 2. If you're here in the room, you can open your Bible. There's some in the pews at home. Open the app up or open a Bible. Join in with us as you worship online with us. I've got to tell you, you know, if if you were paying attention, you would see that as Malachi was reading Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, there's some potential like landmines there, right? And, And this week, as I was thinking about that text on Mother's Day, I thought to myself, are you crazy? You're really going to tackle this on Mother's Day? And, and in all honesty, on Wednesday, I almost backed out of this text. I mean, I was this close. I thought, surely there's something maybe that won't be so wrought with landmines as this passage. And I, I really, I was scrambling after I was like, well, maybe I could teach from this passage in the Old Testament or something else. But then I had to stop and ask myself a question. And the question is this. Do I believe that the Bible is God's word or not? It's as simple as that. Is is the Bible God's word to us? Or isn't it? And so I had to wrestle with that as I was wrestling with this passage. Because look, when when the Bible speaks of womanhood, there are some, some statements in the scriptures that for the modern listener are very difficult to swallow. Things we don't necessarily like to hear. And so look, I mean, again, I ask the question, is the Bible God's word or isn't it? What about those passages that make us bristle? Well, this might be one of them for you. You know, we, we look at the scriptures, of course, when we're here gathered together for worship in our personal lives. And the Apostle Paul, who is the author of Titus, is, is someone who is celebrated in the Christian church. In fact, there's, there's not a week that goes by, most likely, that we don't read something that was penned by God's inspiration through the Apostle Paul. And we celebrate his writings as inspired. So when we look at a passage like this one, that has some of those, those, those uh, addressings to women that, that make us bristle, we have to ask ourselves, are, are, are his writings on womanhood, him speaking from personal opinion all of a sudden? And we consider the other writings of Paul to be inspired Are these particular passages that we don't like as much? Are they just his personal opinions? 
I'll point you to a scripture that, that may be familiar to many of you. This would be one that you should, you should commit to memory. The, the scripture is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, All scripture, underline that, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All, all scripture is God-breathed. And so, as I wrestled with this passage this week, as maybe you're wrestling with it this morning, or any other selection in the Scriptures that maybe you find uncomfortable, as you wrestle with these, I want to ask you a question. Do we want to call into question that all of Scripture is inspired by God? Even the parts that we're uncomfortable, do we really want to do that? Do, do, we, want to, do we want to question the, timely, uh, the timelessness of God's Word? Do we want to question the, the, the usefulness of God's Word to teach us and correct us? It's a process I had to go through this week, once again. And perhaps for you this morning, you'll go through that process also. So here's what I would suggest that we all can do together this morning. Let's approach the Scriptures this morning, the Word of God, with humility. I mean, could it be that the world has clouded our views. Is that possible? Could it be that, that our opinions aren't aligned for, with Scripture? Are you open to God correcting you on something? I mean, could it be that we have the wrong opinion? That the world has led us to think something that isn't necessarily true according to the Scripture? So let's do this. Let's elevate the Lord and His Word in this gathering this morning. Let's humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God. Let's bow down before God as we open His Word. In fact, I would suggest we do that quite literally right now as we pray and ask God to teach us this morning. Will you join me? Oh Lord, I thank You for the reminder that even the parts that make me uncomfortable, and maybe especially those parts, are part of Your Scriptures, the Holy Bible, and this reminder, Lord, is that all of the Bible, all of the Scriptures are God-breathed. They're all, Lord, from your heart to us. And so, Lord, we come before you in this time and we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to your Word. We humble ourselves, Lord. And we ask you to correct us where our thinking is wrong. That you would instruct us in areas where we're not quite clear and maybe don't have a sure understanding. So Lord, we lay down our own preconceived notions this morning and ask you to teach us from the Holy Scriptures. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all this in his holy name. Amen. So let's pick up in, in Titus chapter 2. You know, by the way, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus are all written by the Apostle Paul. And often these letters by Paul are, are kind of considered together. The three of them. These are toward the back of the New Testament. Again, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy letters, of course, to Timothy by Paul. And now this letter, written to Titus, with instructions for the church, we're going to read from this morning. We're picking up in chapter 2. And I'm going to begin with verse 1. Go there with me. The Bible reads, it says, You, however, must teach 
what is appropriate to sound doctrine. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Let's talk about historically what's going on here for just a moment. Historically, uh, the Apostle Paul again is writing to Titus. Titus, his location at this time was the island of Crete. In ancient Crete, was a place where women were objectified. I mean, women were simply seen as objects. You may say, well, that's true in our culture too. Listen, far worse here. I mean, women weren't even really considered to be human, lower than human. It's it's unbelievable when you read the history and understanding they had about women. Women were actually neglected and looked down upon from their, their very birth. In fact, women who would bear children and have daughters would be embarrassed and ashamed that they had brought a daughter, a female, into the world. How awful, how barbaric, right, these, these things, feelings are. This is the culture of Crete. Not only that, men, when, when counting and numbering their children, wouldn't count girls among their children. That's how low of an opinion they had of girls. They were ashamed to have a, a, a girl or a daughter. And marriage was seen simply as a, a practical business arrangement. And so the status of women, unfortunately, as much of human history points to us, particularly ancient history, had very, very low status. Lots of difficulty. You can only imagine the struggle of women. Well, Paul, in his writings, positions the church as an alternative community. He positions it as something that's really revolutionary and how it it considers uh, the status of women and how men are are, are called to relate to women. You see, the church, we use the illustration of being members of a household, the same household. And in that household, we are all called to follow the example of Jesus in our relationships. This is one of the basis of of Christianity that separates it. And so as Paul gives instructions here, he's talking about mutual submission. We see that reflected in his letters in other places. He calls Christians to, just as Christ gave himself to the church, to give themselves to one another, both men and women. And so this alternative community of people is springing up in Crete. And the instructions that are given by Paul to Titus are this, to to teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Those two words together appear seven times in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. You can go and find them on your own. Little treasure hunt for you. Seven times in those passages. That means it's important. Sound doctrine is really, really important. And and what Titus is teaching here, and what he's going to teach in terms of sound doctrine, is something that will make the churches grow in faith, in life. That's the understanding. That for them to grow healthy, they need sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. You know, I think about growing, and I was thinking about, you know, how sound doctrine is guaranteed to make you grow in faith and life and love. And I was thinking about Pastor Robbie and Michelle and their little baby boy, Judah. We saw a picture of him here last week. Judah was five pounds, just around there when he was born. 
Now, this week, Robbie tells me, he has gained 11 ounces this week. Now, some of you say, 11 ounces, I gained three pounds this week. Yeah, but proportionally, 11 ounces is a lot when you're only five pounds, right? You know what's happening? Because he's getting the nutrients he needs from his mother. And that's guaranteed, that kind of, that milk is guaranteed to make that little boy grow and plump up and be really cute and chubby, right? That's going to happen. Sound doctrine's the same. Sound doctrine will make you, oh, I don't want to say plump up, but it'll make you grow. It'll make you grow in every single way. And so why do we teach this stuff? Why, why do we teach Titus 2, these ancient words? Aren't they out of touch, some people think? Isn't it culturally inappropriate? Isn't there a disconnect here? No, this is the word of God. Why do we insist? Why do I insist that you read the scriptures? That you be in the Bible consistently? You have a plan to, to read through the scriptures. Why? Because it's sound doctrine. And it will cause you to grow in life, in faith, in love, in every single way. It's great for your family. We're talking about all in the family. It's great for your family. So let's keep on going here in this passage as we're considering growth. And this is sound doctrine. According to Paul, written to Titus here. Let's pick up in verse 3. He says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. And someone asked me, they said, well, who, who are the older women? Who are the younger women? And I thought to myself, I'm not falling for that trap. No way. Yeah, who are the older women? Who are the younger women? Here's what I would say. Look, rather than getting caught up in that, I would suggest to you that you're both. You're both an older woman and a younger woman. Think about it. To someone, you're an older woman. To others, you're a younger woman. There's always kind of this, this relationship where both are true. You know, we have some wonderful women in our church who are part and active in our women's ministry. I want to show you a picture of just a few of them. This is a small representation of the faithful women at Christ Church. I think about Judy. I think about Tammy. I think about Harry and I think about Susan. And often I have prayed and said, Lord, would you give us more Harriet's and, and, and Tammy's and Susan's and Judy's in the life of our church? We have more faithful women in this way. And those women are pouring themselves into others who are coming behind them and teaching them in the ways of the faith. But it's not just those who are, who are perhaps later in life. It's also the younger women. There's a young woman in our church. Her name is Anna King. Here's a picture of Anna King. They call her AK. AK is one of the, the, the Urban Impact Fellows. She's also serving with us as an intern. She's unmarried. She doesn't have children. But I'll tell you this, she's a spiritual mother. She's a young woman, but she is pouring into those who are younger than her. My daughters go to a Bible study with her. They love it. They come home and there's some fire. Because she, as an older woman to these teenage girls, is pouring in them. Don't you see? You can be both an older and a younger. This applies to men too. You can be an older father and a younger father. 
You could be an older gentleman and an older, a younger gentleman at the same time. That's good news for some of you. You can be younger. No one ever thought of you as younger, maybe you thought. You can be younger. Same with the women. Okay, let's keep on going here as we look at this passage. And I want to point out to you three things from this passage, very simply. The first is this, a privilege. Secondly, I want to point out priorities. And then thirdly, a purpose. Let's first look at the privilege, okay? The privilege is this. It's actually found in the little phrase here that talks about being busy at home. Again, this is one of those parts that people say, oh, here we go, here we go, busy at home, I know, right? Chauvinistic. Listen, this is an important thing. In some translations, it talks about managing the household well, being a good manager of the household. And and let me ask you a question. When you consider the home, what would you say, practically speaking, is more important, more more vital to children than the home? What's more important to a family than the home? And I'm not talking about the four walls and the roof. Come on, more than that. I'm not talking about square footage here. I'm talking about the environment of the home. Tell me, what is more important to a family than the environment of home? Look, we're, we're moved to action when, when, when we see those who do not have a good home. We lament the fact there are so many broken homes. You know why? Because home, that environment is incredibly vital. It's incredibly important. And who is the glue of the home? Well, you know who it is. It's moms. Moms are the glue of the home. There's no doubt about it. I could back it up with some stats that I read about this week. Look, in conversations, in companionship, In discipline and in spiritual development, moms rank number one out of relationships for kids in all those factors. In every one of them, moms are the glue of the home. By the way, again, let me address the men. Men, you're not off the hook. That doesn't mean you say, oh, good, the women have got it covered. I don't need to do anything. Oh, contraire. That's not it at all. In fact, men, we should be keeping pace with the women at the very least. We should be in lockstep with them. But the mothers, the women, are ones who are the glue of the home, this incredibly important environment. Let me tell you, it is a privilege from God that he has given women this ministry. He doesn't give it to them solely because men have a part to play. But there's absolutely something we see in the Scriptures that points to the blessed role, the the, the God-given role, the privilege of women in the home. Literally, this this statement, good managers of the household, or busy at at home, as it it suggests here, that literally means the watchkeeper of the home. That's what it means. The watchkeeper of the home or the the household. Let me show you an example of someone who is a wonderful manager of the home or watchkeeper of the home, my wife, Lisa. Here she is with our three little girls. Man, Lisa is an incredible watchkeeper of the home. She she creates an environment for all of us that is emotionally safe and rich, spiritually safe and rich, physically safe and rich. She's she's all over all of that. She's care she is a watchkeeper of the home. She dedicates herself to that. And my girls are blessed by that. Someday my grandchildren 
prayerfully, will be blessed by that. We're blessed by Lisa's investment, her role in the home. Now, I, I want to let relieve just a part of the, the tension here that maybe you're feeling. Because you read this, and you read about being busy at home, and you hear me talk about my wife and these wonderful women who are, who are watch keepers of the home. Some will think, well, does this mean, am I, am I wrong for working outside the home? Maybe you get angry about that. You say, this is what I mean. This is why I don't like the Bible. Because it says things like this. Well, hold on, let me show you something here. My mother, who I was speaking of earlier, my mother worked outside the home. And let me tell you, she was absolutely a watchkeeper of the home. In fact, many times I wish that she wasn't such a close watchkeeper of the home when I was growing up. She was all over everything. Hey, single mothers. Single mothers are absolutely watchkeepers of the home. And single mothers are doing way more than that. They're holding it down. They're making it happen. And so look, the Bible doesn't say that a woman should exclusively be busy at the home. It's just speaking about this privilege, this role, the way God has ordered things, that women have this privilege of being in the home and creating an environment. This is a very, very important thing for us to consider. Moms, listen, you're... Your role in the home is a privilege. So there's the privilege, okay? Now let's look at the priorities. And as we get into this, this passage, it's pretty evident here. There's a list of, of, of what I would call character traits that are in the Scriptures. And I want you to note something. These aren't marking spiritual maturity. They're, they're not even necessarily uh, uh, marking a person's gifting. No, these are character traits. And there are markers of the character traits. Here are the markers. The way that women conduct themselves, the way that we conduct ourselves. I believe this speaks to all of us. The way that we, we conduct ourselves in speech. The way that we conduct ourselves socially. The integrity that we're called to. Do you see it? I mean, you can make the connections here. The way we conduct ourselves in speech, the way we conduct ourselves socially, the integrity that we're called to as a people. There's markers for our characters. These are to be priorities. This is how we ought to live according to the Scriptures. This is the product, this is the result of sound doctrine in our lives. Man, it's right there for us. But then there's that one point at the end that gets everyone stuck it's this point right here where the Scripture says, and to be subject to their husbands. And to be subject to their husbands. And listen, this is where some people back away and they say, see, I don't want that. This is what I mean. This is the chauvinistic, this is the male-centric version of the Bible that I just don't like. Again, I submit this is God's Word to you. And I think if we dig a little deeper, there's some, some greater understanding for us. So when it says subject to, in some translations, it says submissive to. We automatically sometimes feel like as Christians, we need to apologize for the mention of this. Well, well, I, I know that this is not popular, dot, dot, dot. Or somehow we might feel like we have to apologize for God on his behalf. Well, I, I know it might seem like he's being unfair. Look, I want to back away from all that. And I can understand where those sentiments come from. I mean, right now in you know, the popular culture, 
people are talking about a guy named Josh Duggar. And if you follow the lines of Josh Duggar, you find well, that they have some certain beliefs about the scriptures and all these terrible things, and it paints the whole thing in a negative light. We also see that's why. That's why we don't, we don't want to submit. That's why we don't want to be subject to. That's why we don't like that. Well, listen, men, don't abuse this principle. Men, this isn't to be abused. Men, this isn't something that we're to take lightly and to take advantage of. No, that's not Jesus. He is our example. When we're talking about submission and being subject, this is Jesus. Submission is actually a universal Christian obligation. It's a, let me say it again. Submission is a universal Christian obligation actually modeled by Jesus himself. Let me take you to, to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Listen to this. You know, we talk about this issue of, of submitting oneself or making oneself sub, 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 subject to. Look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 9. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You got that? Have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. You hear that? Jesus didn't use his, his status as God to his own advantage. No, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. I mean, Jesus' example is all about submission. He made himself subject to God's purposes and plans. And he entrusted himself to God's care. You know, that, that phrase that we're talking about here, the, the one that says to make yourself subject to or submissive to, the literal translation again is to be under God's arrangement. That's what it means. To be under God's arrangement. Do you hear that? In other words, it's submitting yourself to the Lord's plan. It's submitting yourself to the Lord's purpose. And so submission is not unthinking obedience. We'll make that clear. Submission is not unthinking obedience. Rather, it's a grateful acceptance of the Lord's care. And so when a woman or a, or a mother or a wife or a husband is called to submit, it's a statement of saying, I submit myself, not necessarily to this person's care, but I ultimately submit myself to God's care. His provision, His ways. That's what this is a statement of. And let me tell you, this, has radic this principle was radical in those times. It's still radical today, and it has radically transformed cultures. In my studies, I was reading about the Maasai people in Africa. Very patriotic culture. Well, when Christianity started to get into the Maasai people, here's what happened. They read about this idea in Ephesians 5 that, that husbands and wives are to submit themselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, and it transformed their culture. It changed the way that husbands and wives related to one another. 
The list go on and on. It's happened in, 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 the, in the southern hemisphere. It's happened in the northern hemisphere. It's happened in the west and the east. It's happened everywhere. People have been transformed by this principle that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I hope this helps you understand this passage. So where are the priorities you see in there listed? There's some character traits that, that women... Yes, specifically, the sound doctrine calls you to in this passage. And again, I would suggest that that these aren't only for women. We see them reflected. Otherwise, they also speak to men. There are these these priorities. We've talked about the privilege, the privilege of the home and creating an environment. And we've talked about uh, the the, the priorities that we're called to. Let's talk about the purpose. The, The purpose is found right here at the very end of verse 5. It's worth reading again. And it says this, that, that so that no one, they're, they're to make some subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Look, the, the, the point of the passage is this, that, that your life lived according to this sound doctrine will have a very practical effect. And that practical effect is that the word of God, the kingdom of God, the love of Jesus, the Christian faith, will not be maligned or discredited somehow. You know, again, Paul writing to Titus, who's living in Crete, this godless culture. And what he's hoping for is that the gospel will get into the roots of the culture. And here's how he says this will happen. He says this will happen through your lifestyle. The way you live. The way you love, the way you, you, you express faith, the way you express life will have an impact in the culture that will transform the people. It's going to work. Your example to people will change. It's an important thing. And so, listen, there have been many failures of Christian men. We read about them in the Bible. Hey, even present day, prominent Christian men who have caused the word of God to be maligned. It's true. We all know, even this past year, you think of names that come up. Listen, women, both biblically and in present day, have this opportunity through the ministry that God has uniquely given to them to, to share the gospel, to be a part of strengthening the church and its witness. I mean, I think about the women that are expressed... Uh, in the, in the thank you, so to speak, of Romans chapter 16. Mark that down. Go read that chapter. Maybe today or sometime this week. When you read Romans 16, you're going to see a litany of women who are mentioned by Paul, who are thanked for their contributions, praised for, the, for their efforts for the gospel of Jesus. I love that. The Bible is, believe me, radical in the sense that in their culture, they were elevating the status of women. They were giving value to women. We see all kinds of examples of women in the scriptures who who caused the word of God not to be maligned, but to be celebrated. They shone a light. I could tell you about a woman that I've met in my missionary travels to Kenya. Her name is Karen. We have a picture here of Karen. I love this, this photo of her. You know, Karen, in her adult life, has had an awful, awful experience. She was abused by her husband physically, horrifically. She was eventually stranded, abandoned by her husband, left with children. And she was left completely 
destitute. Nothing. No prospects for work. No source of income. No government funding. Nothing. That's her story. She's a single mother. But I want you to look at that face. You see that smile on her face? Man, she speaks to it. It's a beautiful face. And and what she does is, is she is a beautiful testimony to God. Her life, she's a Titus 2 kind of woman, Karen is. And her life speaks to the example that Titus is putting forth that reflects sound doctrine. Hmm. I'll say this. The strength of women is to the glory of God. The strength of women is to the glory of God. We see that as the ultimate purpose that's expressed here by Paul in his writing to Titus. So here's what I want to do. I want to close with the tail end of this passage, chapter 2. I spent time this week several times reading over this passage, and I kept coming back to verses 11 through 15. I want you to look at these verses with me, and I think this sums up and maybe takes to the next level what Paul's been saying to us, what God's been saying to us. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. You hear that? All pe- There's another thing underlined. All people. The grace of God has appeared through Jesus Christ. And it gives this invitation. Not just to some people. Not just to the Jews. Not just to certain Gentiles. Hey, but Cretans. To people who are broken and live far from God. From people who don't have their act together. Listen, the good news is this. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation for all people. All the people in this room. All the people who are worshiping online. Do you see that? That's incredible. And this salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It gives us a new, a, a, a new um, worldview. It teaches us to say no, it says, to godliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled upright, and godly lives in this present age. Lives that reflect sound doctrine. The kind of sound doctrine that we read about here in Titus 2. And this all happens as we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? Jesus Christ is coming back. What's our hope in this life? Is it government? No. Is it somehow that that we would be wealthy in this world? No. We could go on and on. The answer is our hope, our great hope, is that God, through our Savior Jesus Christ, will have Him, bring Him back, and He'll appear for the glory of our great God. Our Savior will, will come again and rescue us. He who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, Jesus, who gave His life, who bled for our sins, paid for us on the cross. He came to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, people who live according to sound doctrine, eager to do what is good. Don't you love that? That Jesus has come to purify for himself a people through his salvation, a salvation that calls us to say no to ungodliness and no to worldly passions. It calls us to live self-controlled lives, upright and godly in this present age. He's done this. So he could have a family, a people of his own, his own tribe, that are eager to do what is good and bring him glory. And then 
Paul concludes by saying these, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. When I read that, I put the Bible down. I said, there you go. These are the things that we should teach. These are the things that I should teach as well. Picking up where Titus and Paul have left off. And so, so let me say this to you. If this is what we should teach, then let me say, Jesus makes all the difference in our hearts and in our homes. Do you hear that? There's your Mother's Day message. Jesus makes all the difference in our hearts and in our homes. Look, it's not about having perfect kids. It's not about having the perfect house. It's not about having, having perfect, being the perfect mom or being the perfect wife. No, it's about having Jesus because Jesus makes all the difference in our hearts and in our homes. That's your Mother's Day message. And so I would suggest this on this Mother's Day. And really, whether you're a mother, a father, whoever you are, this is for all of us, this invitation. Would you admit your struggle? Would you bow down before Jesus and say, mm, my life is short. My days are few. I want you and your ways, Lord Jesus. Because only you can make the difference in my heart and the difference in my home. Would you devote your life, all that God has given you, everything, to see your children, your grandchildren perhaps, maybe, maybe the kids of this church, next generation, to know, love, and serve Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What's more worthy of investment than that? Talk about a privilege. Talk about priorities. You talk about a purpose. What could be of more value than a generation, your children, your grandchildren, the children of this church, knowing and loving and serving Jesus? And so here's how I want to close today. I want to pray for you. If you desire prayer, I particularly want to pray for the women today. We've already done that, but I want to join in with Malachi and praying for the women. And today I'm thinking of three groups. I'm thinking about those, first of all, who desire to have children, but not yet have the children. I want to pray specifically over you. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're one of those people. If you're at home, you could stand. I'll pray for you there. I also want to pray for, for those who are spiritual mothers, like AK. Those who are, who are investing in younger women. I'm going to ask you to stand if you desire prayer. And then certainly those who have children. I want to pray for you as well. So if you are a woman, and you fit one of those categories, you desire children, you're a spiritual mother, you are a mother who has children and grandchildren, I would love to pray over you. Would you stand, please, at home, in this place? I would love to stand, have you stand. I want to pray over you. Men, I would ask you to join me in praying over these women who are standing all across this room. Oh, Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you have imparted, particularly to moms. What a privilege to, to create a, a home environment where they can know you 
and grow in the love of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the priorities you lay out in your word. These priorities are often hard for us, Lord. We pray you would strengthen us and teach us to live according to these priorities. And Lord, we pray that the great purpose, that the gospel would not be discredited, that it would not be maligned, Lord, would be true because of us, that our lives would have an impact. Lives lived according to sound doctrine. Lord, I pray specifically for the women who are standing both in this room and those who are worshiping online. I want to pray first for those who do not have children but desire children. Oh, Lord, would you touch their lives in such a way and give them the gift of children. Encourage them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they would trust in you with all their heart and that you would make a way, Lord, where there seems to be no way. Oh, Lord, see the desire of your servants who desire to have children. And I pray, Lord, you would bless them because we believe the children come from you. They're a gift from you. And so I pray, Lord, for those who desire children who have not had, yet have their own, I pray, Lord, you would give them that gift. Please, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray also for those who are spiritual mothers. I thank you for them. I thank you for the ways they're investing in women, both young and old. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a generation of faithful women who spring up, those who, who follow in the line of the Judys and the Harriets and the Susans, there'd be another generation who follows after them with a similar heart, Lord, to love you and serve you. And then, Lord, we also pray for the moms, those who are devoted to their children, who take up the privilege of creating a home. I pray, Lord, they be blessed with the reminder that you make all the difference in our hearts and in our homes. That they be encouraged, Lord, and strengthened through that. Bless them, Lord, I pray. Oh God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. God, it is the Bible and it is your word to us. May we never be ashamed. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.